0: Scripture reading for this evening is from Psalm 119, first eight verses. Let's hear God's word from Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his his testimonies who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart When I learn of your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me.
1: Let's go before the Lord and ask for his help now. Our God and Father, you are infinitely wise and you are infinitely good especially in that you have revealed your wisdom to us through your word. And Father, another way that you have displayed your goodness is by giving us your spirit and all the desire and power we need to walk in your ways. If we will only look to you, Lord, and submit to you, if we will only look to Christ and put our faith in him, if we will only allow him to clothe us with the grace and favor that are poured out on us um, through him, both now and forevermore. So help us now, Father. Help us as broken and still sinful people to um, hear from you tonight and to prize your wisdom, to truly value the things that you have to say and to walk in the way. Lord, as we look again at our dear brother, King David, and see the way that he dealt with his suffering and his sin on his journey to submission, Lord, I just ask you to instruct us in the way I ask you to teach us. More than 900 years ago, Father, you, or 2,900 years ago, you worked in this man's life, and I pray that you'd continue to use him today. I pray that you'd continue to bear fruit through what he wrote today, and for how you will use this time, Lord, in our lives and for the glory of your name, we give you our thanks and praise in Jesus' name, amen. As I've been saying to you for the last couple of weeks, seasons of suffering are seasons of opportunity. Seasons of suffering give us opportunity to grow in faith, in focus, in holiness, in love, in Christ-like service, and in a number of other ways. Seasons of suffering give us an opportunity to grow up into the fullness of Christ like almost no other seasons of life. They give us an opportunity to become people who bear all the more fruit that lasts for the glory of God's name and for the joy of our souls and for the blessing of those around us. Seasons of suffering are indeed seasons of opportunity if, and this is a significant if, if we will submit ourselves to the will and ways of God and follow him by the power of his Spirit. Sadly, as we looked at last week, Because of the remaining sinfulness and brokenness inside of us, most of us tend toward sin when we suffer. When the pain gets high, our hearts tend to draw away from God. We tend to pull back from the Lord and pull back from others. We tend, some of us, instead to strike out against God and to strike out sometimes against others. Or sometimes we indulge our flesh as a way of medicating the pain or just trying to hide from our circumstances. Or sometimes we try to put ourselves in the place of God and take the bull by the horns and just solve all of our problems on our own without consulting the Lord, without depending upon Him, without waiting upon His timing, without trusting in His deliverance which will come in due time. And it's usually in times like these when we've made a mess of everything by our sin that the Holy Spirit grabs our heart and helps us understand this, that when we sin in response to our suffering, we help nothing and we complicate everything. When we sin in response to our suffering, we add to the difficulty by now confusing our guilt with our grief and we can get incredibly overwhelmed and not, just not even know how to begin to walk forward. And so near the end of the message last week, I shared with you a five-step path forward for us when we get in a time like this that will help us make progress, not only with regard to our circumstances, but mainly with regard to our continued growth in Christ. And so I want to begin this evening by just rehearsing those steps with you, and then I'll I'll lay out the plan for this message with you after that. So here are the steps. I put them all up on one slide for you so you can see them all at once and summarize them pretty quickly here for you step one is to establish the pillar of praise we talked about this two weeks ago i just think it it is of utmost importance that we learn in times of difficulty to give thanks to god and to sing the praise of god without establishing the pillar of praise i'm not sure we have a whole lot of hope for progress step two we define our suffering we go before the lord and answer questions like what happened and exactly why was it so hard for me why did this cause so much pain in my life step three We define our sin by asking questions like, what did I do in response to my suffering? How did I strike out against God in response to my suffering? And why did I choose the sins that I chose? And what were the consequences? What came about? What kind of mess did I make? This step's not necessarily fun, but it's very important for us to, I think it's best to write it down so you can see it somehow physically before you. And just begin to ask God for a sense of clarity between what your suffering is and what your sin is. And then step four, confess your sin and believe the gospel. Agree with God that your sin is actually sin. And it's not just a mistake. It's not just an understandable response to flesh. But that you deliberately sinned against God. Until you get to a place where you're willing to say something that honest before the Lord, there's really not a a way to make progress. But the Bible has a lot of hope for us because Jesus Christ has made a way for our sins to be forgiven. And so he said, if we will simply confess our sins, if we will agree with God that our sin is sin and that our sin has made a mess, then God said, I will be faithful and just. I will forgive your sins in Christ forever and i will cleanse you from unrighteousness i will heal you of the impulse that made you walk away from me rather than toward me in a time of suffering so great is the grace of our god and then finally step five Having cleared the sky of the fog of our sin, by the grace of God in Christ, we discern our path forward along with others. We seek the Lord along with our brothers and sisters in Christ about what we ought to do next and about what we ought not to do next. We look to the Lord and we seek him by his word and say, Father, now what? And now when? What is your timing for me and what shall I do at this time? In other words, step five is about making a journey from sinning in response to suffering to submitting in response to suffering. And that's really what I want to talk with you about tonight. So tonight, what I want to do is walk through these steps with you again by looking again at our brother David. This time I want to look at Psalm 119. We're not going to obviously look at all 176 verses tonight. I just want to highlight some themes for you because Psalm 119 is one of the great masterpieces of the Bible. It is a psalm about suffering, sin, submission to God, and the grace of God. It is an amazing psalm. I want to tell you, if you are in a season of suffering and the pain is high for you, I want to strongly encourage you to think about meditating carefully on Psalm 119. Don't rush your way through. Take your time. Let the Lord minister to you. I remember in the late 1990s when I was dealing with some things that had to do with the death of my mother and the the pain in my heart was just pretty intense in those days. And I ended up spending four months just meditating my way through Psalm 119 and I cannot tell you how the Lord ministered to me and I'm sure he'll minister to you as well. So tonight we're just going to sort of take a 30,000-foot view, but I really want to encourage you to take some more time with this amazing psalm when the Lord gives you that time and gives you heart to do that. So with regard to David's heart of praise in this particular psalm and at this time of his life, I don't have a whole lot that I want to say about this, but I want you to notice along with me as we progress through the message just how profoundly David's heart had turned toward the Lord. We're going to see in a little bit that for whatever reason, David in his fleshliness had gone astray from the Lord, but the Lord kindly drew him back to himself by his grace. And when the Lord did that, David learned anew the importance of giving thanks to God and singing praise to God, even in the midst of his suffering. When we suffer, and especially when we intensely suffer, giving thanks and singing praise is about the last thing we want to do. And yet it's among the very first things that we need to do, that we ought to do. And so, like our brother David, beloved, we pray for grace. We pray for grace to give thanks. Like our brother David, we pray for grace to give thanks to the Lord. Like our brother David, we pray for grace to establish the pillar of praise in our life. And as I said to you a couple weeks ago, I think it's especially important to learn to give thanks for the very things that are causing us to suffer in as much as we can. Not everything is good, not everything should be directly thanked for, but there's got to be something in everything for which we can give thanks to God. And so, step one, David did it, and we will be blessed if we do it. Establish the pillar of praise by the grace of God in Christ. Step two then, when it comes to David's suffering at this time of his life, he was experiencing things that he had been experiencing for a very long time. Namely, he was suffering at the hands of ungodly men and ungodly women who were opposing him and seeking to destroy him. So let me just use some of his own words from the psalm and how he describes what they were doing. He said that they were publicly taunting him. They were arrogantly mocking him. They were out and about lying about him. Or to use his words, I found this phrase particularly powerful. He said, they are wronging me with falsehood. I saw in that sense the the falsehood was sort of like a, a weapon of war, and they were hitting David with this weapon of war, and falsehood for a person in power, especially one in power for the glory of God, is a very strong weapon, and they were out to wrong him with falsehood. They were threatening him with deadly violence. They were persecuting him without cause, he says near the end of the psalm. And while he doesn't detail for us the specifics of what he was facing at that time, I think we can assume from the fact that he was the king and from other stories we do know about in his life and from just what god had called him to be and do in a few clues he lives along uh, the way for us in psalm 118 i think we can assume that what was happening here was a, just a grasp for power there were people in the country that wanted david out so they could be in there were people in the country that wanted to put david in the grave so that they could be put on the throne and they were out to get him And like I said to you a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, none of us have been a king. None of us have lived under the constant threat of deadly violence. But I think we can empathize with our brother to know that this would not have been an easy thing to deal with. Day by day by day by day by day. And while David was trusting the Lord, at least at the time when he wrote this psalm, he was also deeply pained and stressed about what was happening to him and what was happening around him. For example, he wrote a few things like this. He said, Lord, my soul clings to the dust. And I hope you hear what he's saying. What he's saying is day by day, I'm literally living on the edge of life and death. And I wonder what we would feel like if we were in that kind of a situation. He did not know what was gonna become of his life on earth and it was stressing him out. It was giving him great anxiety. He said to the Lord, my soul melts away for sorrow. As I've pondered that phrase, I got in my mind the image of, precious metals put in a very hot fire and they begin to liquefy they begin to change their literal chemical composition and i think that david felt like his soul was like that before the lord he felt that he had a precious place he felt that the lord had made him strong in a a number of ways but now under the pressure of this particular circumstance he was melting away he felt like liquid or precious metals becoming liquid in a fire And with that in mind, he begged God to keep him from experiencing the worst of what was coming against him. And he admitted that in addition to buckling under the sorrow and fear that he felt in the situation, that he was also struggling with overwhelming anger toward his enemies. He said in Psalm 119.53, he said, Hot indignation, intense anger seizes me, he said. It's a military term, seizes me, grabs hold of me, grips me. I'm so angry because of the wicked, David said. Beloved, again, we have no idea what it's like to be a king, and we have no idea to repeatedly face the kind of things that David faced, but I think we can all empathize with a man who is experiencing this kind of sorrow over his suffering, this kind of fear over his future, and this kind of anger toward his enemies. I'm sure that in some measure we've all felt these things. But one thing that I really want us to understand and one thing that really gripped my heart as I read through Psalm 119 over the last couple of weeks again and again is exactly what it was that was causing David to grieve so much. He was, of course, grieving for his own uh, plight, but there was something else that was making him grieve all the more. The main thing that was causing David to grieve was the fact that these people were arrogantly demeaning the Word of God in a very public way. They were dismissing the purposes, promises, and plans of God for Israel, and indeed for all the nations of the world. They were making a mockery of God. This was more important to David at this time of his life than his own personal plight. He was grieved, to put it in our terms, because of what was happening with regard to the gospel. I remember, as I pondered this earlier this week of times in our church where there were people causing division and causing all kinds of problems, and I remember night by night going before the Lord and telling the Lord that the thing that was mainly causing my heart to grieve was, was, was the state of the gospel in their hearts and in our church. It's like, where's the gospel? If we truly believed in God, why would we be acting like this? If we truly believed in the cross, why would any of this be happening? And I, I think that's how David felt. Where is God? Where is the value of the word of God? Please listen to the depths of David's heart and, and the kinds of things that he was um, praying for God to God about these people. He said, you, O Lord, rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. That's the main thing that David had to say about them. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked. Why? Because they forsake your law. Your precious words mean nothing to these people. The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. Listen to this. He said, my eyes shed streams of tears because people don't know your law. They don't even know your words. They don't value your words. They don't prize your words. They don't praise you for your words. They're not seeking to live by your words. They're making a mess, Lord, because essentially they've rejected you. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose for they are far from your law. Salvation is far from the wicked for they don't seek your statutes. And one more, I look at the faithless with deep grief because they do not keep your commandments. Beloved, David was indeed grieving at this time for the things that he was enduring and he was right to do that. It was not easy for him to go through the things he was going through. And as we'll see, especially next week, there's nothing at all wrong with lamenting our own personal plight before the Lord, but there is a limit to that. The main thing that was grieving David's heart, the main thing that was causing him such intense emotional pain, was the intense disregard that his enemies had for the Word of God and its potential consequences not only for David, but for the entire nation, and for that matter, for the nations of the world. David, by the grace of God, had been given eyes to see something of the purposes, plans, and promises of God way into the future, probably into eternity. Some of his psalms just stunned me with the level of insight he had about the purposes, promises, and plans of God in Jesus Christ, And I think from some things he wrote and some things that we see in Hebrews and 1st and 2nd Peter that David probably got some sort of a, a literal glimpse of the glory of God in Christ. I have a sense that David had some vision like Moses had up in that mountain where in some form he at least caught a glimpse of what was coming in Jesus. He knew that God was up to very great things through him and through the nation of Israel and it just pained him to the core for people to be throwing all of that away just so that they could have momentary power. David knew that his heart was not to grasp after power. If you'll look in the Psalms, you know, as you're reading the Psalms next time, notice how many times David um, pleads with the Lord for deliverance, for uh, vindication is the word I, I, I was looking for. But when David asked God to vindicate him, he's not asking God to prove to everybody else that David was right and they were all wrong. David, when he prays for vindication, is basically saying to the Lord, Lord, show these people that I was indeed following in your ways. In a, in a sense, David is saying, defend your purposes, your promises, your plans, not mine. And that's where he's at here. That's what I want us to see. In the heart of his suffering, this is his plea. What has happened to the word of God? Beloved, his eyes are on the right things. God has given him a heart to be grieved by what grieves the heart of God. And while the details of David's suffering are obviously different from the details of all of our suffering, we can share this kind of heart with David too. In the midst of our suffering, as we're defining our own difficulties before the Lord and talking with the Lord about why these particular things are hard for us, we can be asking God to give us a heart to see what is grieving Him inside of our circumstances. And the more that our grief will align with God's grief, beloved, the more of a healthy place we're going to be in. We can pray and ask God to help us bear the burden that He would have us bear and let go of all the other burdens that He would not have us bear. Oh, Father, give us insight into Your heart that I might share in Your heart. Because as we do that, the greater thing happening in our lives is not so much getting through the situation we're currently in, but the greater thing that's happening in our lives, brothers and sisters, is that our hearts are being melded with God's heart. We're becoming one we're being conformed into the image of our creator and of our savior through the fire of suffering god is doing great things and so i think like david we need to learn to go before him when we're defining our suffering and saying lord please help me see this through your eyes please help me to have your perspective oh god please help me to grieve as you would have me grieve and see as you would have me see so this leads us now to steps three and four i'm going to take these at once and talk with you about david's sin He doesn't share a lot of details with us in Psalm 119 about what his sin was, but he does help us understand the nature of his sin. If you'll look with me at Psalm 119 verse 67, and I would appreciate it if you would turn to that one, just so you can see it with your eyes. David writes this, verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. So it seems that before this particular season of suffering had stretched out across the sky of David's life, that he had been wandering away from God. And if the way that we walk in the ways of God is by keeping his word through the power of his spirit, then surely the way we wander away from God is by ignoring his word or not keeping his word and doing things in the power of our flesh. David doesn't tell us any more details than this, but I think that what he said is enough for us to understand the nature of what he did. What he did was distance his heart from God. He distanced himself from God. The Bible commanded the kings of Israel to read the word of God every single day and do what the Lord had commanded them. And I think most of David's life he did just that. Who knows perhaps at this season in the season of his life perhaps he stopped reading the word regularly. Or perhaps he read the word and he just sort of distanced his heart from it and didn't spend any time meditating or thinking or applying or actually talking to God about it. I don't know exactly what the details are. I just know that in some way, shape, or form, David relationally distanced himself from God and the consequences of that were very serious. Beloved, this is serious for any person that knows the Lord. But it's especially serious for those who are leading in the Lord in one way, shape, or form. And boy, was David ever leading in the Lord. And so the Lord kindly did what he had to do to draw David back to himself. David, uh, The Lord kindly caused David to, to awaken to what he had done so that David would draw back into his presence. If you look at verse 92, you'll see now what David thought about what God accomplished in his life. Later in the psalm, David writes, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished inside of my affliction. So even though David had gone astray, David still had a love for God's word. He still had a value for God's word. And this is partly what God did inside of him. God caused him to be afflicted so that he would remember, wake up and remember. Yes, I value the words and wisdom of God. Look at verse 71 to go back a few verses. David wrote, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. It's good for me, Father, that you brought this season of suffering into my life, that I may wake up, that I might remember who you are and remember who I am in you, and that I might begin again to walk in the way that I ought to walk. I don't think verse 71 means that David's sin directly caused his suffering But I do think that it means that God used his suffering to expose David's sin so that he could free him from his sin. And God will do this to us. I don't think, again, please, I I, want to make sure I'm being clear about this. My brain feels extremely foggy tonight. I don't feel like I'm being clear about anything And I want to be really clear about this. I am not saying that God brought suffering into David's life specifically because he sinned. There are times when God does do that. We see that in Scripture, but I'm not sure that's what was happening here. One way or the other, though, a season of suffering came upon David, and God used it. God used it very powerfully. God used it to wake him up and bring him back. And so David said, oh God, thank you. This is the guy who feels like his soul is melting away in the heat of the fire. And he's saying, Lord, this fire is so good. David was so glad because this is how God woke him back up. And having lavished this kind of sin-destroying grace upon him, David then wrote those famous words that you heard a lot, but I wonder if you've ever really thought about them in context when David said, I have stored up your word in my heart now that I will not sin against you. Now that comes early in the psalm, but David's already sort of previewing where he's going in the psalm because what he's saying in verse 11 is, look, the way I went astray from you is I forgot your word. So I'm gonna do my best to guarantee that I will not forget your word by putting it in my mind and in my heart. I'm gonna memorize it. I'm gonna meditate upon it. I'm gonna prize it. I'm gonna praise it. I'm gonna discipline myself to love your word above all things. I have hidden your word inside my heart that I might not sin against you. And then he cried, Turn to me, O God, and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. David is simply saying, beloved, by your word, God, keep me in your path. David's heart was not just to escape from the consequences of his sin. David's heart was not simply to secure deliverance from his circumstances rather Beloved, the greater thing on David's heart at this time was to be faithful to his God by walking in the ways of his God, by the power of his God, according to the words of his God. And that is what true repentance looks like. That is what true humility looks like. That is what the journey from sinning to submitting actually looks like. It's when a person says, oh God, I have received your forgiving grace in my life, and now I pray for the power of God to walk in your ways now I pray for the grace to prize what you have to say and to see the wisdom and goodness of what you have to say day by day by day it is good for us to articulate our sins before the Lord and to plead for forgiveness it's good for us to pray according to the gospel and ask God to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness but beloved we have to go beyond merely looking for forgiveness And we need to join our brother David in looking for power to walk in the ways of God. True repentance means turning from our ways and back toward God's ways. And that's the turn David made in his heart. It wasn't simply of David saying, you're right, I sinned, please forgive me. But it was David saying, you're right, I've sinned, please forgive me and now empower me to value you, to value your words and to walk in that way. Beloved, this is where David came in his life and I pray to God that This is where each of us will come in our lives as well. Seasons of suffering are tremendous seasons of opportunity because in these seasons we can learn the value of walking in the ways of God almost like no other season of life. Now when God graciously awakened David's heart and placed him back on the path of life, David's heart absolutely caught fire with passion for the word of God. And to help us feel the depth of his rekindled passion for the word, I want to read you a whole long string of texts. You'll never be able to turn to them one after another, but I put all the verses up on the screen for you. I just want you to hear what God did in his heart. I want you to hear the depth and sincerity and the persistence of his passion for the words of God, the written words of God. Here's what David wrote. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Do you feel like that about the Bible? That you would rather have the Bible than all the money in the world? I mean, just ask yourself honestly. Do you feel that way about the Bible? And by the way, David was talking about Genesis to Judges. Maybe Job, not much else. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. That's how much he valued the words of God. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and I shall not be put to shame, because I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Oh, how I love your law. It is the meditation of my heart day and night. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now he's speaking my language. I've never really struggled with wanting a lot of money and stuff, but chocolate, sugar, honey, sweets, yeah. David says I would rather have your word than the sweetest finest purest most satisfying honey that's what I feel like when I'm devouring your words how how is your heart doing how's your the passion meter in your heart for the words of God the speech of God the wisdom of God your testimonies are my heritage forever because they are the joy of my heart therefore I love your commandments above gold above fine gold I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Have you ever, ever longed for the word of God like that? I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Those are samplings from verse 14 all the way to verse 172 of this psalm. This psalm is shot through with David's passion for the word of God. And I hope you can see that when his heart was awakened by the grace of God, he gained a renewed and consuming passion, not just for the Word of God, but for God himself. I hope you can hear that in the things that he wrote. David loved the Word of God because he loved God. David delighted in the Word of God because he delighted in God himself. David had such overwhelming, consuming hunger for the Word of God Because he had overwhelming and consuming hunger for God himself. David was a man after God's heart, right? And he knew that God's heart was and still is expressed through God's words. You want to get to God's heart? Devour God's words, beloved. That's where he has expressed himself. Of course, he has displayed his glory in the skies. Even tonight, I can see some clouds out there. I bet you God is about to put on a show for us again tonight. He shook our house last night a number of times, and I praised him. I sat there thinking of Revelation chapter 5 and how the lightning and thunder witnessed to the glory of God. But there's no words in the thunder. There's no direct speech in the thunder. There's no direct specific revelation about God in the thunder. That comes through the Word of God. If you want to know the heart of God, you must hunger for the Word of God, and that's where David was. This is... The the, the explanation for the depth of his passion for the Word, it was actually a passion for God himself. David knew that the only way to journey from sinning to submitting in the midst of suffering was by having a heart for the Word of God because we have a heart for God. His love for the Word was not a matter of duty, but a matter of delight. It was not a matter of legalism. It was a matter of love. It was not a matter of religious observance, but of heartfelt obedience to the God who had loved him with an everlasting love and just displayed that love in his life by not allowing him to go too far astray. And because this was David's heart, David came to the place where he absolutely and again resolved himself to obeying the words of God. He did not only speak in praise of the word of God in Psalm 119, but he resolved in his heart to commit himself fully to the word of God. Please hear now a few things that he said about that. Oh God, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. I don't want to be a man that's about lip service, Lord. I want to do your word. Then I shall not be put to shame, having fixed my eyes on all your commandments. And again he said, I have chosen the way of faithfulness I will set your rules before me. I will cling to your testimonies. Oh Lord, let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. This is what I want. Again, I don't want to be a man that's about lip service. I don't want to just go into some room and give religious observance for an hour and a half on a Saturday night. I want to be a man who loves you and walks with you and follows you and eats the fruit of your wisdom in my life, Lord. I want to glorify you. I want my heart to be satisfied in you. When I think on my ways, I, I turn my feet toward your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked ensnare me, but Lord, I don't forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love, so teach me your statutes. Now, of course, David was aware that the only way for him or for any of us to actually walk in the way of God is for God to do this work inside of us. David was aware that he could not wrestle his heart toward obedience but that god would have to do it he wrote things like this teach me O lord the way of your statutes and then i will keep them to the end david knew that the responsibility and the burden was on the lord's shoulders he did not know the fullness of jesus but this man understood the gospel he understood that the only way to freedom is for god to work in him not for david to do a work for god he understood that But he also understood that God has given us all a part, and David was simply resolving, Father, whatever part you've given me, I'm going to play it with all of my heart. This is my passion for you, Father. You have been gracious to me, and now I resolve myself to follow you day by day by day by day. And because he had a heart like that, I want you to listen to how he pled for deliverance. His words have really impacted me in this because I find when I plead with God to deliver me out of circumstances, I don't often pray with this kind of specificity, but listen to how David prays for deliverance now. Here are a few verses for you. Deal bountifully with your servant, and he's talking about, please help me to survive these circumstances that I may live and keep your word. That's what I really want. I want your word to be prized in the land. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word, meaning according to your purposes, promises, and plans. Remember your word to your servant in which you made me hope. This is my comfort in affliction, that your promise gives me life. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Not according to my will, but according to your will. Uphold me according to your promises, O God, that I may live. Let me not be put to shame. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. And I could read on and on and on. There's a number of other verses like this. And I just want us to, to see, beloved, that David had so shaped David's heart that when he pled for grace, for for deliverance, I mean. What he was really praying for was the fulfillment of God's purposes and promises in his life and in the lives of his people. His eyes weren't simply or mainly on his own personal pain. They were on the purposes of God, and he was pleading for God to fulfill his word in his life. That's where his eyes were. When David pled for deliverance, he pled for freedom to be able to keep the words of God for the glory of God and the good of others. When he pled for deliverance he pled for the glory of god to be displayed and the worth of his word to be seen across the land that's what david wanted david essentially wanted god's name to be to be vindicated and of course if david was here with us tonight testifying he would give all the glory to god for this heart in him because god shaped this heart in him remember david was going astray if i can put that in a particular way you know what that means essentially David had put himself in the center of the universe rather than God. And God said, no, son, doesn't work that way. And eventually, through a season of suffering, the Lord graciously yanked David back and said, I belong in the center, son, not you. Get out. I'm going to sit on the throne, you bow before me, and I'm going to lead you in the way everlasting. God helped David to get the order right, and having gotten the order right, even in the midst of his suffering, beloved, God was central. God was primary. One of the most difficult things when we're suffering and especially when we're intensely suffering is it's very difficult for us to focus on anything outside of ourselves. We contend tend to just be sucked into ourselves and into our circumstances and God just loves us too much to let this happen. And so what God allowed David to do was to put God in the center so that David could have a right perspective. And then when he pled for deliverance, he didn't just say, God, get me out of this. But he said, God, glorify yourself in this. God, make it so that the worth of your word is displayed for everybody to see. That was David's heart. And again, beloved, we're not him. We're not a king. We're not in his exact circumstance. But we can learn from our brother at this point and learn to plead with God on the basis of the words of God. And I will tell you that I think this is what submission actually looks like. At heart, this is what submission is about. To submit to God is to bow before him and acknowledge that he is God and we are not. To submit to God is to glorify God by rendering our thanks to Him and giving our praise to Him in every season of life. To submit to God is to envision our suffering and sin in light of God's Word and in light of God's grace. To submit to God is to plead for the forgiveness of our sins and deliverance from our suffering according to His purposes, His promises, and His plans and not ours. To submit to God is to pray for the freedom to walk in the will of God by the power of the Spirit of God. To submit to God is to long for God to be glorified as the worth of his word is seen by everyone in our lives. To submit to God, beloved, is to learn to live a radically God-centered life and to pray for the grace to get ourselves off the throne of our own hearts. And so I think Even though David came before Christ, I think we're looking at an absolutely gospel-saturated man, and I want to encourage us to look toward him and emulate him. God flipped his heart around so that David's affection for God and his words returned, so that David's perspective on his suffering and his sin uh, returned to its proper place as well. As it was with David, so it is with us. Ultimately, it's God who has to shape a heart for these things in us and not we who can shape a heart like this for God. It is God who sanctifies us and it is not we who sanctify ourselves for God. It is God who gives us eyes to see for his glory and not we who open our eyes to behold his glory. And yet, in our case, God has also given us a part to play. I just want to give you two examples of that. If we had more time, I, would, I was thinking of bringing you to a number of places in the New Testament, but I decided not to do that. But I want to just draw your attention to two places. In Philippians 2, Paul told us to work our salvation out with fear and trembling. That's Philippians 2.12. You do this. Work your salvation out with fear and trembling. In 2 Peter chapter 1, a chapter that I look at almost every single day of my life because it helps me articulate the vision that I think God has for my life. Peter tells us to be all the more diligent to make our calling and election sure, to practice the the traits of life that God would have us practice day by day by day. This is the part God has given to us, and he means for us to play this part. But both Paul and Peter then tell us this, that God is working inside of us to will and to act according to these things. It's God working in us that gives us the desire for the things of God and the power to walk in the things of God. Or as Peter said in 2 Peter 1.3, he said, God has given us all that we need for life in godliness. He's provided everything, desire, resources, power, everything. So now, make your calling and election sure. God is the one doing this work inside of us. He has simply given us a part. And I think what we need to learn from David is to pray for a heart to play our part with all of our hearts. That's what we need to learn. That's what submission looks like. Father, I don't understand all of life. I don't understand all my suffering. I don't understand all my sin, but what I know is that you are God and I want to walk in your place. So please help me, Lord. Please help me to have a a passion for your word. Please help me to gain proper perspective through reading and meditating upon your word. And please give me the power to walk in the way of your word. Beloved, when we plead for deliverance we need to learn to plead like david pled and walk in the ways of god as we pray in this way and god graciously hears and answers our prayer i think we do come to a place of clarity of mind where we can then think about how to walk forward in our particular situations and in the midst of our particular suffering as i mentioned last week This is a place, though, where I don't think there's any way to give universal advice to everybody about how we are to proceed in the midst of suffering because everybody's circumstance is different and everybody's personalities are different and everybody's uh, past and future and many things are different. One size does not fit all when it comes to discerning the path forward, but the process toward discerning our deliverance is actually the same for us all. And it's very simple. We simply bow before God and seek his wisdom by his word and by the power of his Holy Spirit. The heart that will draw near to God and patiently listen to God will be led in God's way, in God's time, by God's Spirit. I'm going to say that again because I really hope that you're hearing what I'm saying. The heart that will draw near to God and patiently listen to him, not just think about it, but do it, that heart will be led in God's way, in God's time, and by the power of God of God's Spirit. This is an inviolable law, as inviolable as gravity. We can only be lifted up after we bow down. We can only experience the deliverance of God after we have submitted our hearts to God by the power of God. Here's how Peter put it. He said, God opposes the proud. He stands against us in our pride, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore. You have a part to play, so play it. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he will exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him day by day by day, because he cares for you. And again, God must do this in us, but he's given us a part to play. So let's play that part with all of our hearts. And let's go before the Lord together now and ask him for the power to do that. Lord, I thank you so much for speaking to us through your word. I thank you so much for giving us the example of our brother, David. I thank you so much for giving me the grace just to preach this evening when I feel so um, just tired and my brain feels so incredibly foggy. And I just pray that you would uh, not allow me to get in the way of what you are trying to speak to your people tonight. I pray that you would be clear with all of us tonight because, oh, Father, the power of your word that's here is just immense. And I ask you now to come and apply these things to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Father, teach us to submit to you in the midst of suffering rather than to sin against you in the midst of suffering. Teach us to value the wisdom that is contained in your words. Teach us to draw upon your power that we may walk in your ways and bear your fruit and know your joy. And Father, for how you will work in us, how you will work through us, for how you will fulfill your purposes, promises, and plans to us in Jesus Christ. We give you our thanks and praise in his mighty and merciful and matchless name. Amen.